Good evening. The oil spill that wasn't pediatricians and gun violence. What's happening to our kids? The DEA wants back into Mexico and Columbus Day versus indigenous people. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, October 11th, 2021. Surfers and swimmers returned to the waves Monday at Huntington Beach, dubbed Surf City, USA. The return to the iconic Southern California beach came sooner than expected after a putrid smell blanketed the coast and blobs of crude began rushing, uh, washing ashore. After a foot-long crack in a pipeline dumped tens of thousands of gallons of oil into the ocean not far offshore. Officials decided to reopen the shoreline in Huntington Beach after water quality tests revealed no detectable levels of oil-associated toxins in the ocean. A Coast Guard spokesperson said today the damage in the pipeline may have occurred weeks ago, only recently leading to a rupture. Since October 2020, the pipeline has deflected 105 feet, and the, yeah, we have casing damage, and then, of course, the crack that occurred since that, over the course of that year. We're fairly certain that there was one at least initiating incident that occurred several months to a year ago of, a, of an anchor drag situation. Uh, we're confident now that it was a large uh, vessel. We've done a, our Marine Safety Center at headquarters has done an analysis of the metric force tons of, that would be required to move that pipeline 105 feet. And it could it could not be a fishing vessel type, uh, you know, smaller vessel like that. I, it's very possible that the initial strike just deflected the pipeline with no fracture and then additional stresses added later by another incident or the geological events you know maybe that either increased the fracture or caused the whole thing you know it, it looks like a, a linear type fracture that's not from the actual anchor flukes digging in Coast Guard spokesperson earlier today in Huntington Beach, California. In Huntington Beach, shops selling everything from bikinis to Stars and Stripes boogie boards to sand toys and fishing gear have taken an economic hit since the spill. Shop owners say they hope business bounces back. And authorities in Dayton, Ohio, are investigating a violent encounter between cops and a black paraplegic man following a traffic stop in late September. The disturbing video shows officers approaching Clifford Owensby on September 30th. Reportedly, after coming across past records of drug use, the highway patrol officers asked him to step out of the vehicle so they could conduct a free air smell test. Owensby informed cops he was unable to move because he was a paraplegic. The following Audio is disturbing. I'm gonna help you getting out. I'm gonna help you getting up. Get out. I'm gonna help you getting up. Get out. Well, I don't think that's gonna happen, sir. I don't think that's gonna happen, sir. I'm gonna pull you out and then I'll call it white shit. You're getting out of the car. Ow! 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 Get out of the car. Somebody help! Somebody help! Something right here. You make it so much harder than what it has to be. Owens B. reportedly sustained scrapes and injured his back again following a previous injury. He was later cited in Dayton Municipal Court with traffic citations for child restraint or seatbelt and tinted glass. We'll know more about that, I guess, later. Dayton police claim they are probing the incident, which they say was part of a drug investigation. And gun violence is killing an increasing number of American children, from toddlers caught in crossfires to teenagers gunned down in turf wars, drug squabbles, or for posting the wrong thing on social media. The United States saw 991 gun violence deaths among people 17 or younger in 2019. That's according to the website Gun Violence Archive, which tracks shootings from more than 7,500 law enforcement, media, government, and commercial sources. That number spiked to 1,375 in 2020, and this year is on pace to be worse. 
Through Wednesday, shootings had claimed 1,165 young lives and left 3,216 youths injured. A, pediatri- uh, pardon me, a pediatrician says her training didn't prepare her to see so many young kids devastated by gunfire. We finished the year seeing 150 children who were shot. It became something as common as things like appendicitis or broken bones. It it was really unfortunate. And we are unfortunately seeing younger and younger ages. Um, We've even had toddlers who actually were capable of pulling the trigger of a gun accidentally and shooting themselves. And when you think about a child, of course, their bodies are smaller, right? So a single bullet does a significant more damage and hits more essential structures that an adult. Firearm injuries are really a health disparity issue. And we know things like poverty and joblessness that worsens um, gun homicide. And obviously during the pandemic, we had worsening of poverty, job loss, and it really impacted people's lives. It's hard to fathom a child being shot at all. Um, As pediatricians, we definitely didn't sign up or expect to see children being shot. But this has become our reality. A strategy presented by the Children's Defense Fund is to adopt new gun legislation to strengthen background checks and incentivize safe storage of weapons, invest in social services such as after-school programs and mental health support for young people, and create more economic opportunity, including summer jobs. Meanwhile, some drug enforcement agency personnel are already in the nation of Mexico, despite being thrown out by the current president some time ago. It appears the United States request is for more to be allowed in or for those here to be allowed to work already in Mexico to be allowed to work more freely. The United States has been inundated by fentanyl that is largely produced in Mexico using precursor chemicals from China. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Friday. A shared responsibility as neighbors and as partners to improve security for the people of our, of our nations. That's what it boils down to. And it marks the beginning of a new chapter in Mexico-U.S. security cooperation, one that will see us working as equal partners in defining and tackling shared priorities, one that seeks to address uh, the root causes of the security challenges that we face, including inequity, corruption, impunity, and one that does that not only by modernizing law enforcement, but also strengthening public health, the rule of law, and broader-based economic opportunity. Of course, law enforcement has a critical role to play in reducing homicides and other serious crimes, but its efforts have to be matched by investments in growing economic opportunity, particularly for underserved communities and regions. We know that reducing arms trafficking is a priority for Mexico, as many of the illicit weapons in this country come from the United States. Uh, And we're committed to deepening our collaboration on arms tracing, on investigations, on prosecutions to disrupt this supply. And as uh, that was, of course, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who uh, told us something we already know or should know that most of the guns that are used in all the violent incidents which are dramatized in films and movies all over American cultural experience and make Mexico out to be this violent uh, cowboy land of gun-toting cartels do in fact come from this country, the United States, where guns are way more available and easier to get than anywhere in Mexico. 
And last year, Mexico pulled foreign agents' immunity, that's DEA agents, from prosecution and imposed strict limits on their contacts with their Mexican counterparts. Analysts say that inevitably affects the DEA's ability to do intelligence gathering on Mexican drug cartels. Since some DEA personnel are already in Mexico, it appears the United States request is for more to be allowed in or for those here to be allowed to work more freely. Ken Salazar, who's U.S. ambassador to Mexico and who's asked the uh, Mexican government to allow the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration back into that country. So we are going to have cooperation uh, from the Mexican government. We expect it. That was what was agreed upon yesterday to make sure that law enforcement resources that we have and should be functioning here in partnership with uh, Mexican law enforcement authorities have the ability to do so. And so, yes, that includes uh, our request, and we're working this with the, with the government, on having the opportunity to bring in uh, agents, including our DI agents. But we're going to do it in a way where we're doing it in partnership uh, with Mexico. We have to make sure we're doing it together, the Mexican government and the U.S. government. And that was Ken Salazar. He is the U.S. ambassador to Mexico. And today is the day Columbus Day is observed, and that's October 11th, which is established by Congress. Native Americans have campaigned for years for local and national days in recognition of the country's indigenous peoples. And President Biden announced last week that uh, Columbus Day will now be known as both Indigenous Peoples Day and Columbus Day. You might remember an incident some months back where the Department of Education here in New York City changed the calendar without telling anybody the calendar which had this day as a holiday known as Columbus Day changed to Indigenous Peoples Day. That caused an outcry and shortly afterwards the city uh, came back and made Indigenous Peoples Day and Columbus Day both contemporaneous on the same day, October 11th. And now Columbus and Indigenous Peoples share the same day, October 11th, in uh, the first Monday, I guess, uh, or the second Monday in October, balancing the issue of how the discovery of America by European explorers in the 15th century affected the lives and well-being of countless millions of Native American people. Um, in the Bronx, long-shot GOP candidate for mayor Curtis Slewa was campaigning this weekend as if he hadn't heard the message from Biden. And he was in the old-time Italian and now fast-becoming Albanian neighborhood along Arthur Avenue commemorating the Italian explorer. See, I'm in the Bronx. This is where I started, 79. Border, Webster, the Guardian Angels. Without the Bronx, I wouldn't be here. Was that the Bronx? Yeah, I saw. Oh, disgraziata. Disgraziata. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Frankie the doorman, like Lou the doorman, running for a borough president of Manhattan. Pleasure, pleasure. Here you go. Guardian Angels, February 13th, 1979. The Bronx has the bust of Christopher Columbus that the Albanians take care of in the park in Belmont Arthur Avenue. I'm trying to promote a statue in Staten Island. Believe it. The most Italian of boroughs doesn't even have a statue to Christopher Columbus. But here today... It's Italian-American pride in the Bronx, where I all got started, without which I wouldn't be running for mayor today. Pleasure. There you go. Thank you. There you go, ma'am. Make my picture. Sure. That's your check. Sure, absolutely. You're right.
And that's Curtis Lee in Belmont. Uh, Anthony Tamburi, who we're going to have on next, is a director of the Calandra Institute, which is a group within the City University of New York concerned with uh, Italian-American culture and imbalances in the treatment of Italian-Americans who we might forget have uh, themselves felt the lash of discrimination as immigrants to this country. Columbus Day, it turns out, the first one we know of turns out to have occurred in 1792, and that was undertaken by the Columbus Society was the beginning or the the starting point of an organization we know better here in New York as Tammany Hall. And Tammany Hall, which was, of course, a a leading part of the Democratic Party, very important in the formation of the Democratic Party here in New York and throughout the nation. So it's interesting that Columbus as an American icon and holiday began so long ago, and then was reestablished in 1892 at the uh, 400th anniversary uh, by the uh, Columbian Exposition and by the celebration and hoopla that went around that back in those days. That sort of launched Columbus and Columbus Day, what became Columbus Day many, many years later, as a movement, an American movement that was then sort of included later on with Italian-Americans. So Anthony Tamburi, a director of the Calandra Institute, we talked to him earlier today about a little bit of that history. I was sort of tickled in one way by Biden making two proclamations, one for Indigenous Peoples Day and the other one for Columbus Day, which we then might actually call now Italian-American Heritage Day since since he continued with Columbus and so many Italian-Americans identify with Columbus. You can look at it as sort of skeptical and say he's trying to have it both ways on the one hand. On the other hand, you can say, okay, he's recognizing the symbolic history of Columbus Day and what it means as far as Discovery Day, as Harrison called it back in 1892, and therefore also tipping his hat to Italian-Americans. On the other hand, he's also realizing, as he said in the proclamation, the discovery of the New World was indeed followed by a series of genocides and other tragedies. Little Italy is more like a restaurant area now. Italians are all spread out all over the place. But we're still a large number in New York City. We're still about 800,000 in New York City, and among ethnic groups, it's a very large number. Outside of Italy, New York is number three in the world with the Italian population. The other two places being number one, Buenos Aires, and number two, Sao Paulo. Is it going to go into the night Columbus Day and be slowly emerged into a more general type of uh, holiday? Clearly, in those areas of the country where there's still a large Italian-American population, it's going to be around for a while. Remember that somebody had, so unbeknownst to our mayor, had changed the calendar from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day, and then within a couple of hours, it became Italian-American Day and Indigenous Peoples. That wasn't a bad, let's say, compromise in a way, right? Because now you have two ethnic groups. Of course, you have Indigenous people. This is their land, number one. And number two, you have Italian-Americans who came over and contributed, like many other groups did, but contributed in a in a very, and I use this word positively, in a very conspicuous manner, right? We're like all over the place, whether it's Fiorello La Guardia, whether it's Vito Marcantonio, whether it's Geraldine Ferraro, and so on and so forth, right? We brought challenges. anarchism to America. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did. Carlo Tresca, exactly. Yes. <laughs> you wonder where Fiorello La Guardia would be today, right? In today's politics, where would a Fiorello La Guardia be? Would it be too, would it be too radical for today's politics? Right. And that is 
Anthony Tambori, one of the directors of the Calandra Institute, WBAI host and Mohawk activist John Kane is uh, host of uh, Resistance Radio together with Reagan DeLogans. He says, who would want to share a day with a brutal killer and slaveholder as was Christopher Columbus? There's little doubt that that he was transformed into this figure that especially Italian-Americans and the Catholic Church really pushed out there. The fact of the matter is he wasn't really Italian. He was genuine, at least that's the conventional wisdom. In 1492, Italy wasn't even a country. It was a peninsula that was controlled in the south by Spain and in the middle by still the remnants of Rome. And Genoa was a bit of a city state in of itself. It wasn't a distinct Italy or Italian culture. It was just regarded as Italia from a land standpoint, but not from a person or or a nation standpoint. What is the political meaning to Native American people of Columbus today? I'm less enthusiastic about an an indigenous people's day than I am about refuting the myth of Columbus. And and for us, his legacy is the doctrine of Christian discovery and the originator to a 500-year genocide, as far as many of us are concerned, is still continues today. You can't talk about Columbus without talking about the papal bulls that would reinforce this notion that the Christian nations of Europe could just take land and commit people to slavery. And so whether that was Africa or North America, South America, Central America, this is what is the legacy of Columbus. None of this other stuff. They didn't prove the world was round. They knew that long before him. He didn't discover America. In fact, he died believing he had still believing that he had reached the easternmost islands of Indonesia. He didn't know that he had stumbled across a landmass that frankly wasn't somehow conjoined to to asia he thought he proved that you could reach asia by sailing across the atlantic you know of of, you know the legacy of columbus basically he invented or unleashed the idea of western imperialism on the world that we're still dealing with today it was already begun and in fact his voyage was really a part of that he believed he had reached the easternmost islands of Indonesia and immediately began to take those people as slaves. I mean, the first transatlantic slave ship wasn't Africans to the Western Hemisphere. It was native people from the Caribbean being hauled back to Spain. This idea of imperialism was both a church. It was about spreading Christendom, especially getting permission or giving permission and authority to the Christian nations of Europe to do so. Columbus's voyage certainly unleashed that whole European notion to a world that, frankly, they weren't familiar with. And Native people didn't get subjugated by conquest necessarily. They got subjugated by this idea of church doctrine written into law. The statues, the one on 59th Street, Columbus Circle, some people say that one should be preserved because of its historical significance. I've heard some people say, well, rather than taking them down, they should add more representation of what Columbus really stood for. But who the hell would want this statue up if they knew the atrocities? I mean, Columbus was shipping nine and ten year old girls back to men in Spain. Who would want to celebrate that? I think that they should come down. Like I said, I feel more strongly about refuting Columbus's myth, the statues and the parades, than I do about leading the charge for Indigenous Peoples Day. I mean, I think sometimes the holidays are a little silly in a way. As far as Biden's comment goes, 
I still think it's a slap in the face if you're going to try to say that he's going to proclaim the acknowledgement of Indigenous Peoples Day and then on the, <laughs> on the next breath talk about Columbus Day. It's like a slap in the face to say that we have to share, what, the, the crappiest day in the, in, <laughs> of the year with this guy. You saw de Blasio. You saw Cuomo. You saw both of those guys lash out against the New York City School District because they tried to push through Indigenous Peoples Day. They said, nope, you got to share it. you got to split the holiday between Indigenous Peoples Day and an Italian, you know, whatever they want, uh, Columbus Day. And, and, and Cuomo himself said that Columbus has come to mean, has come to represent um, some contribution to uh, Italian-American heritage. And, and it's just a false connection. They say every statue should be taken individually. Some before the 1800s might have some historic references, but anything definitely after 1950 was put up there on purpose. It's not unlike the number of Confederate statues that would be pushed through during the Jim Crow era. This whole idea of using statues to propagandize Columbus was used that way in the same way the Confederate yeah. statues were. And it's our manifest destiny here at WBAI to go even deeper into this issue. We go to Joseph Shiora. He's a director of the Calandra Institute at CUNY. He says Columbus was created to assimilate Italian immigrants. Italian Americans discover Columbus in the United States. United Columbus is an American hero already deemed such as a kind of a civic religion to Columbus all the way back to before the Revolutionary War. That's why we have things like Columbia University, which was originally King's College. You have the District of Columbia and you have all these cities named after Columbus because he's it was a way that the Americans wanted to distance themselves from England and other kinds of English models. The Irish come, they lam on to the American hero of Columbus as a Catholic hero. And when there's this xenophobic anti-Catholicism in the United States, by the time the Italians come, they've already, this, Columbus is already deemed this important person. So what they do, these elites do, again, it's really important to remember it's these elites who are driving this, not the vast majority of working class Italian immigrants on the ground. The last thing they're thinking about is Columbus. And in fact, there's a kind of proverb that Italian immigrants used to say, maledetto Cristoforo Colombo e quando ha scoperto l'America. Damn Christopher Columbus and his discovery of America. Because Columbus represented all the trials and tribulations that Italian immigrants were suffering in the United States. Italian immigrants, 50% of whom left, whose idea of coming to the United States was to make enough money and to go home and buy a house and buy property and live in their hometown. The elites are driving this uh, conversation of Columbus because it suits their purposes. They're the intermediary between the working poor and the American elite and the Italian government, their consulates. There's the prestige that it gives for being the spokesperson. Columbus fits the bill, right? He's this kind of almost like, a for the Italian immigrants, a tabla rasa. You're able to project on him whatever it is you want to project. And that relationship has changed over the years. Republican voting Italians. In the 21st century, the defense of Columbus as an icon of Italian-American identity is one that's tied to Italian-Americans full embrace and inculcation with whiteness and white superiority. It's hard to deny the defense of Columbus in the 21st century, with all the critiques from indigenous peoples, anti-colonial forces, to see Columbus anything else but a kind of defense of, of whiteness and the privileges of whiteness. There's a number of Italian-American groups 
out there that we don't hear about in the media because the the attention is always to the more louder, strident, more economically endowed groups that defend Columbus. But there are a number of Italian-American groups who have staked their position as one of being Italian-American, deeply felt Italian-American identity, but in opposition to Columbus as the hero that identifies them. There are so many other heroes the history of Italian-Americans as a working-class group of people, people who who fought for uh, various types of labor actions over the 20th century, who were also associated in the 50s and 60s with progressive movements and with civil rights movements. And the history of these Columbus statues are very different from the motives of the Confederate monuments. That's very clear. Just did a tally of it recently, 51 statues or monuments were built before 1950, and 167 were built after World War II, with the vast majority being built in the 1990s for the 500th anniversary. So it's at a time when Italian-Americans are not the struggling working-class immigrant poor. Those monuments are being created in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and into the 21st century with a very different perspective than ones that were built in 1890s. The vast majority of Columbus statues out there were not those that were created by the immigrant poor. The histories are different, but the histories are different even from the Confederate monuments, but they're even different for the Columbus statues. Each statue has its own history, in other words. And that was Joseph Siora. He's a director of the Calandra Institute at CUNY. And that's some of the news for Monday, October 11th, 2021. The news is produced Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.